0: Words cannot express uh, my appreciation for, for the opportunity to, to go on sabbatical, and it's still a few weeks away, so um, we'll talk more about that as we get closer, but uh, my, my, my cup overfloweth with gratitude and love for you guys, so let's jump into the message then, okay? I don't want to cry or anything like that. The title of my message is Wasting My Life on Jesus which we know is impossible. But in the eyes of some, they can see like what we do and how we live a waste. And the story that was just read to you, I think will help us define our relationship with the Lord much better. Before we jump into that, I want to talk to you about a dilemma in my life. It's something that I have to deal with um, almost daily. Uh, I like cologne and like to use cologne, but I don't want to become the cologne guy. You've met him before. The guy who has just used too much of a good thing. It's like, whoa, buddy, lay off. How do you find that balance between the right amount that smells good and just too much that nauseates people? Well, this all started... Um, a few years ago, when, when Beth requested that I not put on my cologne in our bedroom in the morning because it was not the way she wanted to start the day, which was really odd because she's the one who actually picks out and buys cologne for me. So it's very confusing. The very stuff you bought for me and you picked out, now you're saying don't use. So, okay, I honored her and, and then I started carrying my cologne in my satchel. My very masculine satchel, a.k.a. the man purse. Have you seen these things? Okay, so I carry this thing with me every everywhere I go, my man purse. And I have my cologne in my man purse. So I thought, well, I'm going to start using it in the, the car. That makes sense, right? But in a tight space, that didn't work out because you, you spray it. And then, then I started sneezing, and it was just a bad mix of things in the air. And that was not good either. So, So then it became logical. I'll put the cologne on in the office. And on a lot of days, I'm the first one in the office, which I just did some time dropping to make you um, think better of me right there, right? That wasn't cool, but but I'll be there, uh, and I'm one of the first people there, and I may forget to put on my cologne, and I hear the bell ring, someone else has shown up. So what do I do in that moment? Like, do I go for it and go ahead and spray my cologne on for the day, and that's gonna be too strong, and I become the cologne guy, Or do I just ignore it altogether? Do you see the problem here? There's a real dilemma. These are are first world problems for sure. I have a friend of mine who loves cologne. And so, you know, we've talked about cologne a couple of times. Like It came up like once or twice. And now he thinks we have this bond of, of talking about cologne. He sent me a picture one time of his cologne collection. He said he has 40 40 different colognes. And guys, this is not something I got off the internet. This is text from his phone to my phone. Isn't that crazy? And he went ahead and described there was one, one of these I actually recommended to him. I'm like, that's way too far. you think that's way too far? Occasionally, I run into this guy around town and, and he'll do something like this. He'll say, hey, I've got a new cologne. And he'll stick his neck out, says, smell the cologne. I'm like, man, listen, there is no way my nose is getting anywhere near your neck. No one likes cologne that much. Your wife doesn't even like it that much. So these are some of the problems that those of us who like cologne endure. You may not know this, and this is a nerd in me. George Washington was really into cologne. I mean, really into cologne. I told this to the other cologne guy, uh, and he's a senior pastor too. And he said, leadership, man. He's like, leaders wear cologne, right? That's how people come up with the conclusions. They actually have some type of cologne that they think he wore. So all of that. That was a long introduction, but I enjoyed giving it, and I hope you did too. It, it uh, reminded me of this passage. One of the reasons I like this passage today is it gives us a word picture of Mary, of Bethany, who poured out a special fragrance upon the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with her hair, and it filled the room with a, a pleasant smell. And I think that's going to show us a lot about how we can relate to Jesus Um, Let's talk a little bit about the background of the story that was read to you a few minutes ago. Chapter 12 of John, uh, it closes Jesus' ministry and it transitions him into uh, what we call Holy Week. So um, it's easy to deduct that this story occurred on the Friday before the Sunday that he had his triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. So the Friday before Palm Sunday. And as we journey towards Easter in a couple of weeks, the, the resurrection, it's why this story falls at, at an appropriately timed way. And this was, this was really important because he chose uh, to see his friends that were very special to him. Lazarus, that you may remember, that he had called out of the grave. Lazarus was, had been dead on the fourth day. Jesus rose. Uh, Jesus called him and, and showed resurrection power, calling Lazarus out of the grave and his sister, Mary and Martha, were there also. So Jesus had a very special, close relationship that we see throughout the Gospels, cemented in a new way through this miracle. You know this is true, too, when you go through something um, challenging or exhilarating with people, there's a bond. And so there's this great bond that Jesus has with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And we'll talk more about that as this teaching unfolds. So he spends this time with them at a very strategic time of his life. And Mary chose to do something very sacrificial to show her love for Jesus. And that's the first point I want you to write down when we, when we talk about wasting our life on Jesus which is never a waste. It starts with a sacrifice for Jesus. And I want to remind you that uh, though Jesus initiated salvation, he chose us, he set his grace and love upon us, we have a chance to respond to that grace with a sacrificial life. And this is the great honor of our life. We don't earn salvation, we respond to salvation. So we live sacrificial lives for Jesus, not because we're trying to prove anything to him, or certainly not because we're trying to earn anything, is we are responding to what he's done for us, and that certainly was the case for Mary of Bethany. Verse 12, six days before the Passover, and there's that time stamp that I mentioned, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead, so they gave a dinner for him there. Isn't that kind of, kind of special to read? Uh, a dinner to honor Jesus and this idea of hospitality. You know, hospitality is, is all through our faith, from our, our Jewish roots, all through the New Testament. We are people of hospitality. We are people of fellowship. We are people of connection. And Jesus benefited from that. And this, Jesus still benefits from our hospitality. So don't ever underestimate the power of hospitality and uh, whether it's in your home or whether it's just an environment that you provide people through your friendliness and your love. They gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Verse three, then Mary took a pound of perfume. And I want you to think about this. Uh, This is, again, a measurement that we can relate to. Rhonda, when she read it from a slightly different version, they used uh, a pint. pint. And so you understand that these these were translated from the original language to help us understand. So what you need to to remember is there was a specific measurement here of perfume or, or something that we can quantify in our minds. Pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, so the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That's what made me think about my little fun story at the beginning, this idea of this fragrance filled the house, this perfume filled the house, and that was an honor to Jesus. Let's talk about that perfume. Let's talk about the oil. Scholars believe this, this oil came from northern India, and so it was something that was obtained at a great cost, and it was very, very expensive. Now, we don't get political at this church. We're right down the middle, you know, but just in case you need a biblical basis for international trade, it's right there in the scripture, okay? So I thought that was fun. This was very expensive perfume. It would have required probably the average person's wage for the year. And it was very, very special and unusual for someone uh, to to have something of such great value. It was sealed in alabaster boxes and was only open, the flask would only open on very special occasions. It's likely that that Mary and, and Martha used this when Lazarus was dead to help prepare his body for burial. And they used a portion of it at that point. And now they were using, Mary was using another portion to honor Jesus. It it reminds us of those things that are very costly to us. We get real attached to the stuff on earth. We get real attached to that. And I want you to be thinking about something that's costly to you. And it's not necessarily monetary value. It could be sentimental value. Uh, It could be an identity issue. It could be a relationship. It's just easy to have something in our life that is so valuable to us that we protect and we treasure and we maybe only use it on special occasions. And I don't know what that is for you, but this is a word picture that we, we can... We can use that treasure to connect with Christ, to share our love with Christ. Now, Mark gives a different account because here the the timing of this is a little bit different. In, In Mark 14, it makes us believe that she used the portion here in John 12. But a few days later, within the Passion Week, within just two days before the, the, the Passover in which Christ would give his life, uh, she did it again. Look at verse three of Mark 14. While he, Jesus, was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the, reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, a pure nard. Now here's a little bit of a different, a different version. She broke the jar and poured it on his head. So we have two different stories. They have a lot of similarities, but if we we take them at two different times in the week, the first time she poured a portion on his feet, and then the second time she could have come, and this time broke the jar and poured everything on his head. I just say all of that to just show you that this is an extravagant, costly, um, it is something that, came from the very personal being of who this Mary was. Let's talk a little bit about, back to John chapter 12, about her kneeling at his feet. Kneeling at the feet of someone was an interesting uh, symbolic position. Deborah told me this earlier this week as, as she was giving me insight to prepare for this, that in that culture, only the men who would sit at the feet of the teacher to learn from the rabbi had a place there. Now Jesus, who was always, always ahead of culture when it came to valuing women, he was approachable enough and she was confident enough for her to sit at his feet. At that point, she didn't care about her reputation. She just cared about her relationship with him. She undid her hair, which is something Jewish women did not do in public. Mary had an act of love that was public, sacrificial, personal, and she was not embarrassed. And we learn so much from her. And we learn, more, most importantly, from Jesus, who both in the Matthew account and a Mark account said, this is a good thing. This is a good thing that she did. Jesus, not, he didn't just endorse what she did. He defended her. And he said, this is a good thing for her. You know what I think is special? There's so many special things about this story. We're not, we're not even going to touch on all of them. But Mary did something for Jesus. And little did she know that that act of love from the heart would, would be told all of these centuries later, right here. Because when we do something out of love, when we do something out of purity towards Jesus, We have no idea how that can impact people around us. We have no idea how that can impact generations to come. And I wanna remind you of something. Your relationship with God and your heart for God is not just about you. I know that we've developed this term, a personal relationship with God, and there's value in that term, but it's not necessarily, you don't find that term in the Bible, it's just something that we have uh, constructed To help us make an individual decision for Jesus. But every decision for Jesus, the initial one that brings us salvation, to the ones that we make to keep our hearts right with God, it impacts the whole community. It impacts everyone in our family. It impacts everyone we go to church with. And it impacts people we don't even know, generations. that that will come behind us are being impacted by your love for Christ. You know, the the enemy wants you to think that your faith isn't that important, your faith isn't that significant, that what you do isn't really making a difference, when it's making a difference that you won't even know until you get to heaven. Mary had no idea, this Mary of Bethany had no idea that her act of love would would be a word picture for us In, in, in a place she couldn't even conceptualize at a time that was so far ahead that had, she probably had no way of even understanding. And I, I want to encourage you, your faith is such also. You're making a huge impact. You're making a difference. I, I appreciate so much Deanne's positive framing of what God's done here. Uh, she, called, she called this just something to the term of steady and healthy growth, and, and the Lord is growing our church in ways we can see, in ways we can't tangibly see. But I think today about those who God has called to this church who aren't here today and how I miss them and how the heart of God misses them. I know there's some wonderful people who are attending other churches and they're still in the kingdom and and we so, we, we, we are okay with that. We let them go. Those type of changes do occur from time to time. But I'm talking about people who were here in our part of our spiritual family and community that are nowhere today they're not part of the body they're not part of the community they're not part of the faith and and for those people it's not about them missing out on God it's about us missing out on what they bring also I say this not for us to grieve for those who aren't here but for us to value our participation like you make a difference you make a difference and when you're here it's a blessing when, I love telling this joke in the service, I'm telling this because it's actually instructive, I call this the, the, the bombshell right here, the first three rows man, it's hard to preach when no one's in these first three rows, like last Sunday it's like I'm talking to the masses and like it looks like uh, something's been dropped right here and spread everything out, so thank you all of you in these first two rows in the middle, thank you, like like that makes a difference, that's kind of small and petty and just kind of fun, but something more than just filling a seat is the, the sense of personality personality that you bring, the sense of, of, um, the essence of who God has made you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, and keep bringing it, not just to the church, but bring it to every place God takes you. You are a reflection of his glory. When you travel, when you work, when you do commerce in the city, and when you eat, when you drink, when you get your tires rotated, you bring the presence of God everywhere you go. You are a, you are God's glory. Can you hear that? You are God's glory. God's glory is on you. And so it is that that we receive this call, receive what God has for us. I want you to think about your house and a metaphorical house that when you welcome Jesus and when you break that alabaster jar and pour it over his head or you take that portion and you pour it on his feet and metaphorically you wash his feet with your hair. You change the environment of everywhere that you are. When you lavish it, Jesus, you don't lose out on what you have. You add to everyone. It is for Jesus, but it benefits the whole house. It is for Jesus, but it benefits everyone. So just keep loving your God, right? Just keep loving your God with all that you have and all that you are, and you will you have no idea the beauty in it. You have no idea the influence. You can't see sometimes. You can't see a smell, but you can experience the smell, and and the Lord is using you. Here's the second part of this criticism about Jesus. Once we lavish our love upon Jesus, it's not long before we receive criticism for that, and I, I want to honor you right now. There, Those of you... There are people in this room who have followed Christ at a very costly price, and we don't even know your story yet. In heaven, we will know your story. Sometimes when we connect at 242 or we connect relationally, we'll know your story. But I honor you for the way you have given your life to Christ, the way you have lavished your love upon Christ in ways that either I don't know, or maybe in ways that you're not able to articulate quite yet. I hope this this sermon helps you articulate that. And I, I, I know that we have lots of Marys here, and that's not just for the females. The spirit of Mary, uh, in, in this, this particular Mary we're talking about, um, her, her ability to sit at Jesus' feet. This is, a, this is for males and females. I am so proud of you for being that, those type of people. Now, I've been that at times, I believe, but I've also been a Judas a whole lot. That's not that's not really fun to say that when you're preaching. But let's read about Ju- Judas again in verse 4. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him. Now let me just parenthetically say this is they did not know he was going to betray him at this time. He was one of the chosen. He was one of the 12. He wasn't part of the 72 or the 572. He was part of the 12. He was an apostle. And he was a respected apostle. How did I know that he was a respected apostle? Because he was in charge of the money. And usually you put the people who are qualified, responsible, uh, people who are organized, all of these qualities, you let them manage the money, uh, people of character. Now, they didn't know he didn't have character, and, and he went on and he asked something very practical and good. He said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. I'll just say this because I'm running, I'm running behind on on our schedule here. I'll just say this. When you lavish your love upon Christ, not everyone will understand. And then sometimes people will use human reason to pick apart your choices. And it actually makes sense at the time. It's like, yeah, why did, I? why did she do that? Why did she pour out the oil? Why did she do that? You, you could have helped the poor. Later on, in, in just a couple of minutes, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how Jesus addressed address this issue of helping the poor. But I just want to encourage you in this today, is that when you live for Christ, there's going to come times where it's going to cost you. Like there's going to be maybe social ostracism. There's going to be a time that you're overlooked for a, a pay raise or a promotion. There's gonna be a time when you're not invited out with a group of people. It's gonna be a time when um, you're gonna be persecuted. And I say this to encourage you, um, not to say, well, you haven't reached the standard, but like when that time comes, you're gonna be okay because Jesus is worth it. Like, like we, we can waste our life on Jesus, because it's not a waste. We get our life back. Um, let me remind you of some powerful scriptures. Jesus said this himself in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So whatever persecution you feel like you may receive, you join the company of the prophets. You are, you are blessed you are blessed by the Lord, and we bless you for um, loving Jesus enough to live a sacrificial life. 2 Timothy 3.12 gives the same theme. All who want to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. I just say this pastorally to prepare you. Just It's gonna be okay. The Lord says it's gonna be okay. You get the presence of God. You have the power of God. You have the community of God. You have the word of God. You, you have the the very presence of the Holy Spirit, when persecution comes, we're going to be okay. We're not going to shrink back. We're not going to back down. We're we're not going to die spiritually. And Jesus Jesus answered in verse 7, leave her alone. She has kept it, the oil, for the day of my burial. For you will always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. You guys know if you've sat under my preaching very much, almost every, a couple of times a month, I'm just challenging us to engage in the social need of our community, to care about the poor. And I don't think we can say that enough. But Jesus reminds us of a principle here. He wasn't saying don't be concerned about the poor. He's not saying don't engage uh, with the poor. In fact, many, many other times in the scripture, he calls us to, to do that very thing. He's saying that there are times when his presence and investment in his presence can be more important than just social activity and just, just uh, meeting social needs. And this idea is that there, there will always be an opportunity to, to reach those who are, who are not privileged or under-resourced. So the question is, why did they not give that money to the poor? Because Jesus needed it. Jesus deserved it. I'm going to say Jesus deserved it more than he needed it. Jesus deserved it, and he is worthy. And, and when, when do we make those decisions? I, you know, I don't know. There's no formula for it. That's why we need the community, and we need the word of God, and we need the Holy Spirit. And there's times when, when we give our resources and lavish it on Jesus. So, for example, uh, this Easter weekend and two weekends from now, we're going to add a third service. It's going to cost the church money. We're going to pay child care workers for our nursery age people. We got to, we're going to air condition the building, pay police officers. So this argument wins every time. Let's just give that money to the poor. I mean, why don't we just sell this building and give it to the poor? Anytime you want to win the argument, you can just say, let's just give it to the poor. And it's always right. And, and and we always should think about that, but there's times through the community, through strategy, through through the spirit that we say, no, we're, we're gonna lavish it on Jesus also. I hope that makes sense. I hope that's helpful to you. Here's a closing thing that I wanna I want say is I love about the story more than anything, understanding that Jesus is relational. Jesus is about friendship and he's about Fellowship, and he's about sharing a meal together, and that's what we're about too. And let's not forget that, guys. I, I, I love the fact that I mean, preaching to you is is one of the great privileges of my life. I love it. I love it every Sunday. Preaching doesn't wear me out. I'm going to miss preaching when that sabbatical comes this summer. All that. It's, it's just not. I, I love doing it. I mean, I have a microphone, and you have to listen to me for 30 minutes. Who wouldn't like that if you're a talker? And it's a good entry point for people. But but we want, we want you to connect relationally. Not because it's something we do, it's who we are. We don't do 242 groups. We, we fellowship. And, and the church organizes 242 nights to help be a vehicle of fellowship, But but we share our lives with one another. Sometimes the church organizes it, and most of the time you organize it. But my point is this, is that Jesus... Before his last kind of attack on death, hell, and Hades itself, spent time with friends. He is relational. He, he called Lazarus out of the grave. And what did he do? Did he take him on a, a big tour? You know, did, did, did he do a documentary? Not that I know of. But he had a dinner party with him. I love what the great theologian Matthew Henry said about this. He said, those whom Christ has raised up to a spiritual life are made to sit together with him. Christ raises us up out of death. and calls us out of the grave. And then he doesn't use us. Like, now you're, you are you just do what I say. You're my robot. No, he says, you're my friend. Come to the table. The table that reaches back all the way to our Jewish roots, all the way back to the very beginning the table that extends into the culmination of humankind when we have that, the, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb with our Jesus, like we're invited to the table. Revelation chapter, chapter 3 talks about the future, and Jesus says, See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. This is the invitation. Jesus went to Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house. Mary, she lavished her love upon him. And he is a relational God. And that's what he's called us to. He's called us to be. Later on today on your own, you can read the epistle for today out of Philippians 3. Let's stand together now. In a posture of prayer and an attitude of prayer to submit ourselves to our great God.